Hello, and welcome to The Next Greatest Thing, a podcast powered by the Arkansas Valley Electric Cooperative Corporation. Today, we are speaking with Brandon Harbour. Brandon, thank you so much for visiting us today. You bet. Thank you for having me. So you are a special guest. Great. You, this is the first time that we have ever had an Arkansas Valley Electric board member on the podcast. Oh, all right. I feel privileged. Absolutely. Thank, well, I do. I do. How long have you been on the Arkansas Valley Electric Board? I believe it's going on 11 years, if I'm counting correctly. So 11 years, wow. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've got some depth. A little bit, yeah, co-op. hopefully. Yeah. So we are talking about co-op month. Mm-hmm. It is co-op appreciation month. It's October. And it's not just about giving ourselves a pat on the back. We really want our members to know and understand what the co-op is all about and how we are truly serving them because that's what we come to the office every day and do. Yep. And you also have experience with that during your day job, too. In addition to being a board member, you are the CEO of Western Arkansas Farm Credit. That's correct. Which is also a co-op. That's correct, yep. So we're going to get into all of that as the episode progresses. But first of all, uh, give us a little bit of introduction of who you are. I kind of have done that just a little bit, but expand on on that and who you are and your connection to the cooperative and the River Valley. Sure. So... um as you indicated, I'm a director. I've been a director, and I believe I'm correct in saying 11 years. It, it has really flown by, but I believe that's correct. Um, so my day job, I'm the CEO of Farm Credit Services of Western Arkansas, and uh, kind of as you alluded to, they're both cooperatives, both cooperatives serving rural Arkansas. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I'll be in one boardroom or the other, and I have to think for a minute, okay, who am I here representing? <laughs> am I CEO hat on this time or am I director hat on this time? Which I'm going to say those hats are very similar, but they are different. That's correct, yeah. They are different. You have to think differently. Yes, I do. And, and which brings up a really good point because I think it's, it kind of highlights the difference between the two roles. So with my CEO hat, you know, I'm looking at management, and I'm thinking about the minutia that goes on within the co-op in Western Arkansas. Whereas when I have my director hat on, I need to remind myself, okay, I'm here strictly for governance right. and oversight, strategic oversight, and that kind of level. So it's a real good way to kind of keep those lines from blurring so you know this is how I need to act in this role and this is how I need to act in this role. Right. Would you call that a challenge? Yes, it definitely is a challenge. It most certainly is. But it also has given me a little bit more um, – Patience, perhaps, with my own board, and even patience when I'm over here, because I recognize, okay, I know now why my board at Farm Credit needs to know these things. Right. And then vice versa, when I'm here, I need to think to myself, okay, that's more of a management discussion. That's not my topic. Right. So, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That that goes into all that depth, which makes you a good board member and makes you a good CEO. I hope so. You are from Ozark, correct? That's correct. Yep. Born and raised. Born and raised. You... Uh, or hillbilly? Yep. Yep. Did you, were you super active in school? Were you agricultural related? Um, so I grew up on a cattle farm. We did, uh, we had cow calf and then we did feeder cattle also. So yeah, pretty busy uh, on the farm growing up. And then ironically, I worked at a radio station, KDYN. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Growing up. So I did that um, for, I believe, two years and then obviously went on to college and had to leave that behind. But but yep. you still live here. That's correct. correct? Yep. I make a 45-minute commute. Awesome. Yep. Every day. Awesome. All on the interstate, though. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. E- it's not easy. bad. Yeah. Not bad at all. Well, you also have connection to the co-op besides your position. 
That's correct. Yep. So my great, great uncle, and I think I got the number of greats right, uh, was Wallace Milton, who was the first CEO here. And Wallace, along with the membership at that time, you know, got the co-op going. And then my grandfather started here when the co-op started in 1937, as he said, swinging an axe, clearing right away. They didn't have chainsaws and all that then. They actually did it with axe. So he did that. And then uh, when World War II started, he got drafted, had to go off, did his service, came back. And then I believe it was in the 60s, late 60s, he became CEO. So he kind of worked his way all the way through the ranks and then became CEO as well. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty neat story. I, I had no idea about any of that. So you have grown up knowing about the co-op your entire life and have probably had some some interest in it even before you got involved as a board member. I have. I actually remember my grandfather explaining to me what the cooperative was. And I'll be <laughs> honest, I was young enough, it really wasn't, I wasn't connecting the dots. Right. But as I got older and went through college and then got involved in the cooperative myself at Farm Credit, I could start to connect the dots. And I remember, okay, I remember when he said that. I know now what that means. So. That's that's really cool. I, I thought you had a family connection to the co-op, but I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really cool to connect those dots. Well, as I mentioned before, we are talking about Cooperative Month and why that's important for our members to know about and understand and why it's important for the people who work here to know about and, and understand. And one of the things that makes cooperatives unique, especially comparative to investor-owned utilities, is the seven cooperative principles. And those are, I'm going to give a list. Yep. Spoiler alert, I have the list in front of me. I have not memorized <laughs> these. But number one is open and voluntary membership. Number two is, is democratic member control. Third, member economic participation. Third, autonomy and independence. Fifth, education, training, and information. Sixth, cooperation among cooperatives. And seventh is concern for community. I really feel like Arkansas Valley Electric really focuses in on that, and that's a main component of how we make decisions every day. And, of course, the the other co-op principles are equally as important, but... There's not a time that I've been aware or been involved with a project at the co-op where we're making decisions that are self-serving to us. It's always, is this what's in the best interest of our members? Is this what's in the best interest of our communities? Yep, that's so right. that's what I want to talk to you a little bit more about today. Our motto, Arkansas Valley Electric's motto is changing the communities we serve. In your experience with the co-op, how do you believe we are living out our motto? I think a real big one, and I'll kind of back up a little bit. So you were kind of talking about, you know, first and foremost, we're here for the community and service and all that. And I can't agree more. In fact, I tell, I do a little bit on onboarding for new staff. And I come in usually and talk a little bit about the culture. And then I talk a little bit about the co-op principles. And what I tell is, and this sounds very awkward, especially coming from a a bank, basically, which is what a farm credit is, that first and foremost, we're service oriented and that earnings is a byproduct. And that's even true for Arkansas Valley Electric. First and foremost, we're here to serve and then earnings is a byproduct. And so by that, you know, we're here to fill our mission and obviously you do need some revenue to pay overhead, pay your staff, 
but then what's left over at the end of the year, basically what's not needed in, to keep in reserve for capital or for growth needs that you have coming over the next year or two, gets turned back in as patronage out to the membership. Right. So, you know, from that, I say when you, when you look at it from a 30,000-foot view, that's what we are. And once you pay, peel back the layers and look at it, that's really what we are, is service-oriented. We're here to serve our membership. You know, obviously, people know our linemen, and if the lights go out, our linemen are there to turn them back on. So in addition to the linemen who get to see members on a daily basis, so many of our employees are making decisions day-to-day based on the member, and they may never see a member face-to-face. You know, if you call in to the member services representatives, you know, they're making relationships with members. Some of these, some of these members... Uh, start recognizing our MSRs' voices oh, really? and know who they are. If it's not MSRs, it's the billing department, you know, talking on the phone with those members who need financial assistance or yeah. have questions about their bills. Accounting finance with all the capital credits, and they don't make a decision without our members in mind. And Yeah, no, I, I can tell you that firsthand because we usually have them in the boardroom almost every month. And yeah. You're definitely true on that one. Yeah, I spoke with a staker the other day and our, our, our new easement coordinator and he talks about how he goes out and explains um, the why we're making decisions to our members. This isn't just the what we're doing, but this is why we're making these decisions, you know, on, on our lines and the way we're building our lines. You know, everybody here has our members and our communities at the forefront of their minds. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the big reasons that is and be, the reason that probably comes so naturally Yes, it's it's mentioned in our culture, and yes, it's encouraged in the culture of the co-op, but our members or our employees are members of the co-op, and they're members of the community. You know, you go to a basketball game, really good chance you're going to be sitting next to a co-op employee. Yep. If you go to church, there's going to probably be a co-op person in church with you. You go out and eat on a Friday night going to be a co-op person like we live and exist and thrive in the same communities that our members do and I think that's why it's so easy for us to think about our communities yeah it is and I think we are yeah and I think that's kind of you mentioned culture I think co-ops have their own unique culture whether it's a farm credit or a rural electric um it's and that culture is because honestly following those seven principles you talked about early on yeah is your members are your owners and they're not owners in the sense of like you might think of Tyson or some big corporation that are stockholders that are invested for a monetary reason typically but they're invested because of a service and so it kind of creates this bond and uh, and I see it both at farm credit just like I see it absolutely and it it makes it it makes for a, a really neat culture we um, at Farm Credit, we have a vision statement, and it basically is super simple, and it's never settle, do right, and smile often. And we have the smile often in there because we truly mean it. We want it's a family atmosphere, it's a low key culture, and we want that connection. You know, a smile goes a long ways when you're smiling at somebody or what have you, and what you receive back. And so it it's a re- relation between us and our members, and then a relation between employees. Absolutely. And they, they, you can't have one without the other. You can't have a successful one Mm-mm. without the other. Yeah. No. 
Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's pretty awesome. And I get lots of uh, comments like that over the course of the year. And, and I have for a number of years as I've been here. Um, you kind of mentioned how did this hit home to me. So probably the best example is um, when we decided to invest in WAVE into broadband. Yes. So we were honestly fairly early on as a rural electric cooperative exploring that opportunity. And we would go off and go to conferences and, and listen to what had to be said. And and uh, they're really good about getting us the directors into training. So we were kind of hearing that and hearing that message. And then I was kind of actually living it firsthand. Uh, my daughters at that time were in, in Ozark school system. And they would have to go, them and their friends would have to go to McDonald's yep. to do their homework. And then I started hearing more and more stories about this. And boy, it really resonated with me that this is almost our original mission when we first fed electric out here into western Arkansas, entire River Valley. And here it is, you know, what, 75 years later. Right. And we have a new mission. And and it really, really did, though, hit home with me because I was living it, watching my girls pack up their laptops and head off to McDonald's to go do their homework. And, and, and they weren't alone. I mean, like I said, that was, that was the case for almost all the kids, what they had to do. Yeah, my, my husband's an educator in a rural community. I'm from Scranton. And when COVID hit, uh, the Scranton school system put hotspots at rural fire departments. And then they put it in the gym parking lot and I think the high school parking lot yeah. where kids could come up and get internet access Mm -hmm. and our area I'm a member and our area is going to get wave but it's going to be in 2024 but that's just a reality that that we were living and I remember the first time I heard about wave it was before I started working here I thought okay I'll believe it when I see it yeah and to know that it's actually a reality although I don't have it personally yet right it's it is so close Uh, and I know it's going to be completely life-changing I've told that story a few times but it's something that you can't even comprehend because none of us have ever had access to that kind of service before. And I know, rewind, 86 years ago, it was the same kind of concept. What do you mean electricity is coming? Well, I'll believe it when I see it, but, you know, in the meantime, I'm going to go out and milk in the dark and Mm -hmm. come back home in the dark and turn my lamps on. Yeah, I tell my girls, you know, my grandmother, I remember her telling stories about not having electricity. And I said, you guys are going to have a story to tell your kids and grandkids, as crazy as it seems, yeah. about having to go do your homework at McDonald's or you know whatever you had to do to get by because you did not have any internet service or at least a reliable internet service at your house or at our house. We, I mean, we have internet. Yeah. But it's not reliable. Right. Right. (laughs) It might turn on. Yeah. And it spins. It spins. And as of right now, uh, my husband Cody and I, if we know we want to stream, if we want to have Friday night movie night, Mm -hmm. we have to turn off every other device in our house. Yeah. Yeah. In order to do that. And if it starts to spin, we go, device check. Yeah. Yeah. Shut them down. (laughs) Whose phone is on? Please go turn it off. You know, kind of going back to your original question, on on a very big real level, that's, that's very much a hit on a service oriented because it's a totally different entity. You know, we're a co-op and the way portion of us is not. So right. it's, you know, and it was something that we recognized a real need to, to really service not only these individual homes, but these businesses that are in rural and also the school systems mm-hmm. that are out there that did not have access to broadband. Yeah. And we're, there are some schools on our lines right now that 
without us would not have internet yeah. access. Yeah, I know. And, and like I said, so that, that really made, in my opinion, um, the decision a lot easier. Um, it was a very big investment, and obviously there was risk involved with that investment. But Ben and Al and the management team here did their work and their homework and showed us that we could make it work, and, and we pushed forward. So I've heard stories from management side, from from an employee side of how Wave came about. Would you mind telling a little bit of, of your side of what it was like as a board of director to hear about this for the first time and yeah, um, make the decision that this is the right thing to do? Yeah, and I think that, you know, probably the first couple times we heard about it, it was through management and, and talking about, um, hey, here's something a little different. It's not just electricity about serving, but it's, you know, broadband. And, um, and then, like I said, we went off to a, a number of different conferences, and that became a big focal point at these conferences, um, as well as some training. And so initially, when we were kind of talking about it, we were really looking at it from a standpoint of we were looking at getting to smart meters. And so having the capacity to, to utilize that broadband to be able to, to go out and read those meters and to do all kinds of um, things that we can't do today more remotely. Right. And uh, then it kind of grew from that after going to these trainings and, and these meetings about utilizing it for more of a, a broadband uh, rural outreach to all these communities that do not have any real um, internet service that's reliable. And, and then that was early on. And then it was probably a year or two later that my girls got old enough that I was sitting there witnessing it firsthand, like I said, just watching them get in their vehicles and drive off to, to McDonald's or wherever they were going to, to, to get internet service. So then it became, a discussion within the boardroom and I remember specifically sharing that very example with right. the board that okay here's a, here's a real life one and uh, and then we also talked to other um, rural electrics that we know that we network with and they were there were a few that that were hesitant there were some that yeah we're looking at it as well so we kind of would bounce ideas off one another you know what that looks like I think the biggest concern obviously was you know we've, we've got a really good thing going here with what we have and we want to be very careful not to disrupt that and not to put any undue weight on the rural electric side that it may force on that because of the investment we're making into WAVE. And so, uh, long story short, we did a lot of planning, a lot of analysis, hired a third party to come and help us and show, okay, if you can do this, this, and this, um, you're going to not only get by, but you're going to thrive with it. And I think we're to a point now that we can, we're getting close. As you said, you're one of the. I'm one of the last, last ones. Yeah. I'm second to last zone to open. Yeah, which is so hard to believe that we're that far along now because it yeah. seemed when we first started talking about it, the end seemed forever. But you know, there's going to be a point in time, and it, it'll be several years down the road, where Wave will actually begin benefiting the electric side, and there'll be all kinds of neat things that we can do once we get Wave up and going where it needs to go. And so that's kind of what we're doing now as a board is planning with management. Okay, what are some things that WAVE can start doing to benefit 
the electric side. I mean, it's obviously a benefit what it brings in the broadband sense. Right. But then we think there's opportunity that it could benefit from an economic standpoint, which would be really fantastic. And that's that's one of the things that I always try to share with our members, you know. And as you said, you you have two different hats. We have two different hats when we talk about Arkansas Valley and and Wave and the way in in the communications department for me personally, the way I speak to an Arkansas Valley Electric member when I'm on Arkansas Valley Electric mm-hmm. communication lines and the way I speak to maybe that same person on wave lines because they've transitioned into a customer. Yep. Um, there is some crossover, but like language and approach changes. Mm-hmm. But I always want our members slash customers to know, yes, this is taking a while. Yes, you may not have internet yet. Yes, it may take 60 to 90 days once you sign up. But this is a forever thing. This is not going away. Wave's not going away. Arkansas Valley's not going away. Right. And this is an investment mm-hmm. in our future, in your future. You know, that's one of the, the roles, obviously role of management, but also of a board is that strategic oversight. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say, and that I always say to staff at Farm Credit, and if everybody's thinking the same, then somebody isn't thinking. And by that, it means, you know, don't just – don't just think about what we did yesterday, but let's let's think ahead. Let's let's be a little bit more strategic. Let's be innovative. Let's let's find what's out there that we need to be looking at and investing in for our membership. And I think we hit a home run with this one. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall on in the boardroom when you guys finally said, "Yes, yeah. we are going to do this." I yeah. can't imagine what that felt like as a board. Yeah, it was ex- to realize. Yeah. We just made history. Yeah, yeah, it was a big decision. It was exciting uh, and obviously unnerving, too, to realize, okay, this, sure. this is a, a lot we're tackling. I mean, it was the concern was also for staff here. You know, what what's going to be the impact of staff here? And, in, 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 you know, of course, that's on management to figure that piece out. But you still, as a board, you think about the employees as well. I mean, you do, as well as the members. And a lot of times the staff are members. So. Right, right. I've, why do, I don't have the exact number of employees that are members, mm-hmm. but fair, fair amount. I would, I would imagine. Fair yeah. amount of yeah. us. Yeah, I would imagine. So I guess uh, I was either 18 or 19, and I was a summer intern working here, um, like so many college students do. And my role was uh, testing electric meters. And so I would put together every morning a list of, of meters and set up the route, and then me and another summer intern would, jump in a company truck and take off and go the computer equipment back then I'm gonna make myself sound like a dinosaur but it was a huge in this huge box and you carried it with a leather strap and I mean it weighed as much as I did and uh, so we went all over the river valley testing electric meters and this particular day we were actually just a little north of Ozark and it was at a little white country church old old church uh, I believe it might have been New Hope Church I don't even, I don't think it's there anymore but Anyway, we went up to it, and just immediately you could tell it was an old meter. I mean, just the look of it, it was real long. And uh, so we got it out and thought, well, let's just test it anyway. So we did, and ironically, it was spot on. Really? Yeah, yeah it was spot on. <laughs> but when I flipped it over, it had the date stamped on it, and I don't remember the month and day, but it was 1937, and it had the number one on it. No. Yeah. So we knew we had to change it out anyway because of the age. We That's what we would do is even if it was working well, those old ones we were changing out. So we changed it out, 
and brought it back and I showed it to some of the managers here and they said, yeah, I, I think that's the first one ever set. Wow. And my grandfather was still alive then. So I asked if I could take it to him and they said, yeah. And I took it to my grandfather and he said, yeah, I, that's going to be it. He did not believe that church was the first meter set, he, but it was also very common to take a meter from one spot and plug it right. into another. But um, so when I brought it back, the I believe Basil Cook, I don't know if anybody still remembers him or not, but he worked here then and, and kind of worked in the marketing area, um, in your area. And uh, there was talk about putting it in uh, in the little glass case. Absolutely. And having set in the era of Charles Harbor, pulled by Brandon Harbor, the grandson. But never happened, but I understand Ben Schaefer in the uh, time capsule that we have here. Put Is it, that where it's at? Yeah, he put it in the time capsule and put a note in there just to that fact about where it was oh. pulled from. And my grandfather, it was set during his time period, and I'm the one that pulled it. So I had no idea yeah. that existed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty neat. Oh, that makes me excited. So your, your depth just goes so much deeper than the positions you've held here. I had no idea that you'd been an intern. Yep. Um, yep. I was an intern. Of course I had um, great uncles and other relatives that, that worked here as well as linemen and, and obviously lots and lots of friends over the years. Do you have somewhat of a sense, and I know we're in a new building, this isn't where your grandfather worked or anything, but when you do come back for board meetings or when you, when you do visit the co-op, do you kind of have a sense of coming home? Yeah, a little, a little bit, bit. A little bit of comfort. Yeah, a little bit. I and of course when the when I open the door, the first thing I see in the boardroom is the old older CEOs. Yeah. And my grandfather's one of them. So I always kind of look at that picture as I enter the boardroom. So yeah, it always reminds me of uh and yeah, I do. I, in fact that's the reason I wanted to be a director here is the the tie that I had here and, and how I felt about this co-op and how I felt about the employees. And, and it just felt like something I needed to be part of and I wanted to be part of. And it was, it was really that whole, um, with, with the heritage that essentially I had and the ties that I really felt like this is something I wanted to be able to serve and, and do what I could to, to push it forward in the future. Absolutely. And I think you and the rest of the board are, Personally, I feel like you guys are doing a phenomenal job. Um, you've you've helped create this wonderful culture that me and all of the other employees are able to come in and work in a great environment every single day. The, the WAVE project is so exciting, so life-changing. And without a supportive board and without a board with a vision, like that would have never happened. And so yeah, it, thank, it, thank you for everything that you're doing well, on... I, on a regular basis yeah, I appreciate for it, us and I, our members. I, I appreciate you guys and the management for sure. And, and obviously our memberships, because we would not be here without them. So it's a, it's a full circle. Absolutely. We can't, as I said, we can't do, we can't have one without the other. That's right. Nope. And we'll take a little bit of uh, farm credit in there and we'll say, well, we try to do it with a smile. There you go. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Brandon, for visiting with me today and getting allowing us to get to know a little bit more about you, your position, and your influence in the River Valley, both in your day job and as a board member. I really appreciate it. You bet. Well, thank you for having me.